appreciate that, Doug, that nice, nice uh, introduction. And Allie, thanks for in, inviting us. Um, my name is Chris R. I am uh, a recovered alcoholic from Ingram, Texas. And uh, uh, what a delight to be here. I, it's, it's beautiful to be, you know, connected with all of the other speakers that are on here. I mean, I know most of them and, uh, and uh, we're in, uh, in for a treat. For heaven's sakes, uh, there's some some great speaks out there, and and uh, uh, delighted to be here. We're having one of our biggest ice storms in Texas history right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of you Canadians need to come down here and teach us how to drive. I'm just saying, it, 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 they're closing the state down, guys. I got to tell you, it's colder than a yeah. So I don't know how y'all do it. Y'all are real men up there, but. Um, we're all huddled in the house. That's what we're doing. And uh, got the heaters cranked up. So uh, what a delight. What a nice weekend to be doing a fellowship of the spirit in Toronto. I, I did a, a, a talk, a, a little workshop deal. We did uh, last weekend in, uh, up in uh, Oregon. And uh, I'm seeing a bunch of those same faces on here this, this weekend. And got it. that's the coolest thing. Butch was talking about it. Uh, blessed Bush, thank you so much for sharing. They was just talking about it, just how cool to get on here with a thousand of our friends. And I got buds and my little buddies from Sweden are on here and, and uh, all over the all over the world. Good heavens. And uh, just pleased as I can be. I'm going to I'm going to I don't see Myers on here. He's on here. I know because I've texted him earlier, uh, but I, I don't know what page he's on. I haven't been able to see him. So he may. Uh, not, not sure. I'm waving at him. I hope he's OK. I'm going to do about 45 minutes and I'll flip it over to him and he can do steps two. Uh, I'm going to try to cover first step and I'm going to do it in pretty, pretty quick fashion. But I, I need to mention real quick, if I share anything in here that uh, is not in the big book, I'm sharing my experience or it's, it's it. It's my experience. It may be different than yours. So don't don't get cranky with me. Uh, I, uh, I love you regardless. And there's a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous folks, and there seems to be a lot of ways to do this. And uh, I just happened to um, I sat around AA for a whole bunch of years, folks, trying to get well. And and uh, some of y'all, you've heard my, my talks. I, I just, I spent a bunch of years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, with the nicest people on earth, folks. Nothing, nothing against any of that. But there was this, always this lurking notion that my case is a little bit different, you know, that I'm not quite as bad an alcoholic as you are. Therefore, I don't have to do what y'all have to do to get sober. And uh, I didn't own a big book. I didn't have a sponsor all those years, you know, uh, I was so blessed in 87 after a suicide attempt, I, uh, I landed back in a room full of people that were all carrying big books. This ought to be confusing to the little newcomer. This is a big book. This is a little big book. That's, I don't know what to tell you, but I carry the little ones I put it in my pocket, but uh, they were all carrying big books. And, and uh, after, um, after uh, the meeting, they went around and shared some hope with me. Uh, they didn't share any more war stories with me, which was really nice. I'd spent seven years listening to you talk about eating out of dumpsters, and that wasn't me, and I uh, couldn't relate. And, uh, uh, well, that one I could. I did eat out of a dumpster a couple of times, but I just, I'm saying, I, uh, uh, these guys qualified me. You know, they, they, they pulled me out after the meeting, and we, they, we sat on a little table, and they got me another cup of coffee, and we sat there, and, and I'm detoxing, guys. I'm coming undone. I've, I've had my first day of so, sobriety, uh, November 13, 1987, and uh, I'm, uh, uh, you know, they opened the big book. says, Chris, why can't you stay sober? And I said, well, and I started naming them all the reasons. Y'all see the little issue man and issue woman up here? I, I put them up here all the time. I'm going to put these little, little X's right here. 
all these little X's what everybody wants to talk about, guys. Everybody's convinced they're drinking because of something else. The truth is, guys, this genetic predisposed illness is as real as can be. My twin brother, if he's on there, he and I caught the bullet. He, we got the genetic uh, uh, predisposition. Uh, I got two sisters that never had a problem with alcohol. Uh, they can, they can. They can drink a little bit, take it or leave it alone. Just like Butch was talking about. They freak me out. You know, how, how could you do that? You know? Yeah. And uh, we couldn't do it. We, we, you know, but we, our lives were pretty good, guys. We were holding it together pretty good. We weren't doing a lot of the crazy stuff. And uh, when I went to Alcoholics Anonymous all those years, I mean, everybody, again, you know, trying to help me, but they were trying to scare me into recovery. A lot of them seemed to be instead of uh, uh, pulling me with a vision. Bill Wilson says in a little little letter, I was reading it last week in 1942, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. It's, a, it's an excerpt from a letter. You can see it as Bill sees it. Chief responsibility, and that's what those guys did for me. I am so grateful that these guys got me. And they were supposed to be at dinner. That was a six o'clock meeting, so it was seven o'clock. They were supposed to go home and go to dinner. And they sat with me and they opened the big book. And for the first time, they, they showed me what it was to be an alcoholic. I get emails around guys when I do these workshops and somebody, I'm going to put my email on there so y'all can say, hi, I've got this little index I'll send you to uh, if, if you email me. But I, I, you know, there's always somebody in there that wants to, you know, I'm an alcoholic if I say I'm an alcoholic. That's not true. You're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous if you, if you say you're a, you're a member. It, nobody's going to kick you out. You're, you're there. But guys, there's certain symptoms you got to have to, to be an alcoholic. And if you don't have those symptoms, you're, you're not one of us. Bill Wilson gets pretty clear, guys. And if you could look at it, he talks about the, the necessity to be honest. If you could be honest, you three places and how it works, it says it, you, you, you can get sober. If you But if you look, look on the bottom of page 20, Bill Wilson talks about, he says, moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving it up entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. We don't have any moderate anybody in here, I'm telling you. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He has, may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair himself physically and mentally, may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficient strong reason comes along, ill health, falling in love, change of an environment, warning from a doctor, if this becomes operative, this man or woman can stop or moderate, although may, may find it difficult and troublesome, may even need medical attention. Next paragraph, last one. But what about the real alcoholic? Yeah, he may start off as a moderate drinker, may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of their drinking career, he begins to lose all control of the consumption once he starts to drink. Guys, Bill Wilson's really clear with this. You want to set the world on fire, the next time you go to an AA meeting, introduce yourself as a real alcoholic and watch everybody come unglued. It's, 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 yeah. I am a real alcoholic, guys. I'm a bona fide real alcoholic. And I got to tell you, folks, there's so many hard drinkers and Alcoholics Anonymous right now. And I'm just going to say it. it's the only thing I'm going to say controversial. Be careful who you listen to in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because if you're listening to somebody, yeah, they're the put the plug in the jug. Meeting makers make it. Easy does it. Think, think. Yeah, they're a slogan hell. Yeah. And I'm not knocking the slogans. Well, yeah, I am. I'm just a little bit. Just a little bit, maybe a tiny bit. Guys, the real alcoholic, guys, these open, these guys opened the book and they showed me what it was to be an alcoholic. And I, I mean, I went home that night, 30 minutes later, just like we're going to do tonight. And I had tears in my eyes because I understood for the first time what it meant to be an alcoholic. There's, a, there's an old guy locally and he always says it. I, every time I hear him, he shares it. There's no one step more important than the other. 
you know, I, I, I believe that we have to work all 12 steps. I believe that's all of that. But, uh, but it's a real, real problem. Uh, 60 of the pages, the steps are outlined on the first 100 pages, give or take, guys, a few pages. Uh, uh, 60 of those pages are the first step. He does the next 11 steps in the next 40 pages. So Bill Wilson really kind of really wanted us to pay attention. Once you're convinced, the book says to your innermost self that you're really one of us, guys, there's no looking back. People that don't finish the steps are people that have what the book calls this lurking notion that their case is different. Because if you're convinced that you really are one of us and that the solution is going to be this spiritual experience, there's not going to be any of this. Take your time to do the work. It's going to be like a rocket. Let's get this work done as quick as possible. And that that's hopefully, yeah, that's what we need to do, folks. I, uh, If you look at the doctor's opinion, uh, up to page, doctor's opinion written by Dr. Silkworth, guys, and, and uh, I'm a big fan. I could talk. 40 minutes just on Dr. Silkworth. This guy was, I mean, a, a, a sweetheart. I, I would have loved to have met him. Uh, he's, he's buried up in the Jersey Shore and um, I visited his grave and was my, my New York friends. And it's, um, what a guy, you know, but he, he started seeing anecdotally things that were different with alcoholics, folks. And it's one of the things I'll say right now. I got, there was a guy that wrote a book about it. One of the lines in it, I'll just take out of context. It says, we're not different than other people. We're different than other drinkers. There's a lot of people that want to paint pictures that we're all goofy. Dr. Silkworth wrote some stuff about it too. You need to stop doing that because I got to tell you, alcoholics as a general rule are no goofier than the people at the Lions Club over here, you know, or the Baptist church. They're just, we got goofy people all over the world. And I, I just, I don't know. Alcoholics, so guys, my, the way I'm different, folks, is the way I, I, my body reacts to alcohol. I mean, that's what we have to look at. Uh, there's no addictive personalities. It, those are character defects. Don't get me started. I'm, it's too early. I just, you look at a doctor's opinion up to page 23, Bill Wilson starts talking about this physical craving. What happens when I put alcohol in my system? One of the things he wants us to see, guys, is that there's a difference between a behavioral problem and a disease. The American Medical Association finally got off dead center by 1961, stopped calling it an illness, and said... Uh, we, uh, Ali, you want to do me a big favor? Could you, can you make me not a host? So these people coming in and out of the room won't flash across my screen. Sure. Of course. No problem. That's okay. It's just, it's a one eyed thing. It just gets my attention. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Anyway, this, this idea that alcoholism is some kind of a behavioral problem, I need to mention real quick, too, I work in, in a treatment industry. I've worked in treatment for 27 years, and I, I do clerical work for, for, for a big old facility and, and have forever. And, and I just I get to watch a lot of people come in the rooms in the same condition I was in 1987 at that suicide attempt. You know, they come in and they start detoxing and they come out of that the haze and they start realizing, he says, you know, I tried AA, it didn't work. Well, the truth is they did the same thing I did. They went to a whole bunch of meetings. Guys, meet, AA is not meetings. AA, meetings are a part of AA. There's also two other legacies that we're supposed to be looking at. There's the fellowship, there's recovery, the, our 12 steps, and there's our service structure. And that's, we're, this is, we got to get in all three parts and we'll get sober. If we're trying to stay sober, folks, if you're a real alcoholic trying to stay sober, uh, just going to meetings, you could be in trouble. 
There's this thing that we don't talk about. Bill Wilson refers to it several places in the book, but, but we know today, well, maybe we didn't know as well back in the day, uh, that the, this illness is absolutely progressive. Most of y'all can look around the rooms and you can see it. It gradually gets worse. Sometimes it's not gradual. Sometimes it's just gradual, and all of a sudden, ah, you know, it's like it gets so bad so quick, it's not even funny. And uh, But it's progressive, guys, and it, it'll get... Yeah. If your illness has progressed very far, you're going to be able to see these symptoms pretty easy. If it hasn't progressed very far, you've got to look. If you'd known the questions to ask me, you could have diagnosed me with alcoholism at 17 years old. But nobody did. You know, when I went to AA, I was in the early, late 20s, every, uh, excuse me, mid 20s, about 25 years old. And uh, everybody was just trying to, to, you know, identify with the stories instead of the symptoms. I'm not knocking stories, guys, but if we could connect the story with the symptom, then we could get some clarity around this. Because y'all, while I'm here, I'm just going to say it, guys. We, we scare a lot of people away from Alcoholics Anonymous by thinking that all we're going to have to do is, is, you know, share our stories. Stories in a Friday night like this, oh my God, bring it on. But in a first step meeting, you got a guy coming back, picking up his 15th desire chip this year. He doesn't need to hear another story. He needs to hear what this is really about so he can finally understand that he's going to die if he doesn't get well. I call myself an alcoholic all those seven years, and I didn't even believe it than a man in the moon. I just figured if I could get all these little X's and, and you know, y'all hear that little, little term, get your ducks in a row? Do they say that up, up there in Canada? Yeah. That's a Texas expression, maybe. If you get all your ducks in a row, everything will be okay. Yeah. Buddy, I've had a ducks in a row. You know, I mean, it's true. How many of you guys drank when everything was great in your life? How many of you drank when everything was crap in your life? Yeah, we could do this all day. Nice car, bad car, <laughs> nice girl, evil girl. We could, yeah, this, yeah, no. My drinking doesn't have that much to do with my external, guys. It exacerbates it, but it doesn't make me an alcoholic. What makes me an alcoholic is that genetic predisposition and, uh, Scientifically, they've proved it. about 60% of this is genetic. So anyway, uh, you look at it, your truth, guys. If you look at the doctor's opinion and they start talking about this phenomenon of craving, it's talking about what happens when I put alcohol in my system. I need to mention sometimes people get confused because they hear, especially the young people, they hear that once I start to drink, I lose control and, and drink uncontrollably, like until I black out or you know, pass out or whatever. That's not true. Sometimes the craving can be satisfied with smaller quantities of alcohol. Buddy, I've gone to the store a thousand times and bought a six pack of beer at the 7-Eleven and come home and drank a couple of beers and went to bed. I've done that before. I've also drank a couple of beers after that in that six pack, then finished the six pack, then ran back across the street right before they closed so I could get an eight, a, a 12 pack because I'm not finished yet. See, I don't know what the data, sometimes the, the, the craving can be satisfied with smaller quantities of alcohol. Stop looking at this like you've got to turn into a zombie every time you drink. That's in-stage alcoholism. But I'll mention this, guys. One of the worst alcoholics I ever knew was about 18, 19-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah, this young man was something else. He had two drunk driving charges. He blacked out both times he drank and, and had two drunk driving charges. I mean, he, he was an in-stage alcoholic at 19 years old. And I watch people in, in their 70s just now beginning to see the symptoms clearly in their life as alcoholics. So it just it's progresses different and different folks. I just mentioned it, guys. So don't stop comparing your story with somebody else's story because it may be completely different. 
it may, it probably will. That's for sure. Bill Wilson gets pretty clear about it, guys, in this thing called phenomena called craving. You got it? What happens when I put alcohol in my system? From 23 to 43, we start talking about this little thing called the mental obsession. Everybody, <coughs> excuse me, everybody out there that I talk to, you know, counselors, therapists, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, police department folks, doctors, they all understand the physical thing. Oprah Winfrey, you know, you alcoholics, once you start to drink, oh my God, you know, you can't stop it. Okay. But you start talking about this mental piece, <coughs> excuse me, and they and people go nuts. Bill Wilson gets pretty, pretty clear about it. If you look from 24, excuse me, 23 to 43, those 20 pages, Bill Wilson talks about this mental obsession. He uses the word, because we don't have the time to go into it, but he uses the word insanity over and over and over. I do want to read one page, one little paragraph. If there's a secret handshake in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's this paragraph. So any of you little new knuckleheads in there, pay attention now. I'm fixing to give it to you right now. And you, you can send me some money later, because I'm going I'm to save your life right now. Look. Top of page 24, guys. Now, listen, again, I'm in AA for seven years. And nobody's showing me this. And all of a sudden, these old geezers, these old country guys with old busted up big books, you know, just like Butch was talking about, my heroes, people have been around a while, opened the book and they showed me this page and it changed my life. Top of page 24, italicized writing. The fact is that most alcoholics, Bill Wilson's trying to be very diplomatic here. It's all alcoholic. For reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times, not every time, at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. You go into any AA meeting out there tonight and you, you, you bring up a topic and you, you, you ask the group, do you have a choice whether you're going to drink or not? Y'all go fine. You'd be, and everybody in the room will say yes. You do not. Bill Wilson's crystal clear. We have lost the power of choice in drink. If you read in the book, there's in the next 20 pages, there's five stories. Four of them are high bottom drunks. Y'all know what a high bottom drunk is. Folks that haven't lost it all. <coughs> Butch was a low bottom drunk. He, he's, he's living on the street. High bottom drunks, high bottom drunks, or haven't lost at all. These stories, there's one fictitious story, the Jaywalker, although it's pretty applicable to all of us in there. But the uh, the, the high bottoms, uh, you, you look at it, but in, in every one of these stories, he'll he'll do two things. As he's explaining the story, he'll give you the lead up, and then right before and after, he, he starts taking away all the things we call triggers. Yeah, all the things that we want to we want to blame for causing the alcoholism, he want he'll he'll uh, he'll take that away. It talks about Jim, the car salesman. Don't y'all remember? This guy thought he could mix a, an ounce of whiskey with milk, and it wouldn't hurt him on a full stomach because he's good eating a sandwich, you know. And it's like, yeah, how many of us have fell for something stupid like that? I had an old, old country boy up here in Ingram, Texas, one time tell me, if you eat a stick of butter before you go out drinking, it won't get you. You won't get drunk. Let me tell you, you will get drunk and you will spend the rest of your day in the toilet. 
I'm just saying, don't try it. And you little new guys, I'm not telling you to do that. It's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. The story specifically, guys, Bill Wilson gets in there and he, he makes this really clear. I got I'm watching that clock close. He, he, uh, if y'all read Fred, the businessman, this was a, was a true guy. And I don't have time to read the whole story, but he ends up in treatment. It's on page 39 guys. He, he uh, he ends up in treatment uh, and he's real much embarrassed about it. He believes that his experience of coming to treatment uh, and his willingness, you know, his fear of losing his family is going to keep him sober the rest of his life. And uh, he goes on in there and uh, he said, it would only be a matter of uh, exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. How many times, how many zillions of people do I watch come to treatment with that belief in their head? If I could just keep on guard, I got my, my triggers list and I've got everything ready and I'm going to keep on. It's just good luck with that. That's what I tried for seven years and couldn't stay sober. In this frame of mind, listen, he goes back all it went well. He's into when uh, goes to Washington to prevent uh, to present some accounting evidence. And he says, I've been out of town before during this particular dry spell. Nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. Favorite line in the book. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. Y'all get it? How many of y'all have drank at that particular point in time? Raise your hands, you little knuckleheads. There better be a thousand hands up here because I got to tell you, every one of us have done that. Your families don't understand that. What your families believe quite clearly is that if everything would go okay, if you could change all this external stuff, then everything's going to be okay. But you look inside, this is where the spiritual malady lives. This is where the disease lives is internally. And that's why, that's why we need a spiritual experience, guys, that Myers is going to be talking about a bit. This is why we need to try to get connected. And that just going to a meeting is not going to fix this problem. Working the steps will get us connected spiritually. Guys, the steps don't get us sober. The steps get us connected spiritually. God gets us sober. That's, that's, that's a fact. Fred says it. As I went to the hotel, I leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that we would have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. He orders a cocktail. The threshold got him drunk, right? As he crossed the threshold of the dining room. So tonight when y'all leave your room, be careful. Y'all might want to crawl out the window so you don't get triggered. You might drink. Oh my God, it drives me crazy. People making money trying to figure out why we drink. I don't need a reason to drink. Reason is I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. And internally, I don't feel worth a poot. Wrong, uh, but... Uh, Butch, when he was talking about it earlier, he's just talking about it. you're going to get to a place where you can't imagine life living with it or can't imagine life living with without it. Then you're going to know loneliness like few do. Guys, I got to tell you, the only thing that ever made me feel comfortable in my skin was alcohol. A bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine set me on my path at 17 years old. And uh, I don't know. I'm so grateful that these old geezers opened the big book and they showed me what I needed to do. The mental obsession, folks, will go away. That's what a recovered alcoholic is, is that the obsession to use will leave you and you can be you can be free of that. I haven't thought about taking a drink in 33 years, folks. I've had some some good days and some really tough days. I mean, you know, most of them good. I got to tell you, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous. But I'm going to say the obsession will go away. The tense that promises will come true if you'll do 
the things that we're asking you to do, but you're not going to do them if you, unless you believe you need to do them. So I got to mention one, one other thing real quick. The uh, Dr. Bob uh, stayed sober for, for a considerable period of time. He was in school drinking like a crazy man. And uh, he, uh, he got kicked out of school uh, because of his drinking, ended up going back home, living with his father for a period of time. And uh, uh, he got sober, finally went back to school, finished school, never touched another drop. He stopped for a long period of time. And then he got his practice and, and started chipping again, started drinking. And it was just steady downhill after that. So, I mean, there's a lot of us that can quit for given sufficient reason for short periods of time. Some of us long. Uh, uh, then the insanity, my mind, is what comes back and starts kicking my butt. There's a great line in the book that talks about the main problem with the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We can get you past the physical piece, guys. The craving will go away once you get the alcohol out of your system. Unless you're eating a bunch of food that has alcohol in it or over-the-counter medications that have alcohol in it, NyQuil, mouthwash, anything. If you get anything in your system, your blood system stream that's got alcohol in it, it can trigger that craving. We're losing a gazillion alcoholics out there right now thanks to doctors who continue to prescribe benzodiazepines. It's liquor and a pill. It will trigger that phenomenon of craving. I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you not to take them. I'm saying one of the reasons that you're having trouble staying sober is because you take stuff, put it in your system. It doesn't have to be a bottle of scotch for me to get yeah, all I got to do is get triggered and be off to the stupid races. So Bill Wilson uh, made a real clear point. Up in the front, he talks about a two-part illness. And we have the people out there in AA land, we call them two-part pukes, because all they want to do is talk about the physical craving in the middle of session. But Bill Wilson spends page after page, page talking about the spiritual malady. And, and again, there's a great little article written by, by a, a friend of mine in, uh, up in New Jersey, and uh, I can send it to you too. It's a, but it talks about the missing piece, the spiritual malady, and it talks about this internal discomfort. If I just set the booze down, just set, set the booze down, and that's all I do. I'm not working the steps. I'm not doing the things I need to do. What's going to take place internally is this is this dis-ease, the bedevilments on page 52 start to come back, that irritable, restless, and discontent that the book talks about starts to come back. If you look at um, the unmanageability in the first step, unmanageability in the first step is not about your external world. Go into any meeting tonight you want to go to and say, let's talk about unmanageability, and everybody in the place will start talking. Here she, here's the issue woman again. You start talking about this external stuff. They'll talk about the, the kids, the job, the credit cards. They'll talk about everything external. Bill Wilson's not talking about that. Guys, the stuff that ties us all together is not that external stuff. It's what's going on inside. I guarantee you there's a thousand people in this room, and I, I think we can all ir uh, 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 relate to the words irritable, restless, and discontent. Guys, when I set alcohol down, I do better. I get detoxed. I start feeling good for a couple of days. My MO is about two weeks later. I start coming unglued at the seams. I'm, I'm mad. I'm pissed. I'm throwing people fingers on the freeway. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not a happy camper. Fear comes back. The depression comes back. I'm just, yeah, I'm going to go see a doctor and try to get this taken care of. That's why so many of us end up on medications is that we're looking for something to treat this internal discomfort. The spiritual malady must be treated. Y'all see the little lady right here, the little guy over here, this internal stuff. You can't live uncomfortable. This is what your families don't understand. Butch mentioned it up there. They think, guys, I've seen two of doing great. And then a month later, they're drunk. 
because the pain of, of, of not drinking one stupid day at a time eventually starts to outweigh the benefits in their head and they go and their head says, I can have one drink. I can smoke one joint. I can, yeah. Historically, guys, the alcoholics, they end up going to drugs. They, prescription medication is decimating Alcoholics Anonymous. And all the little dope fiends that snuck in this room, you're so welcome. <laughs> Bless your heart. I'm going to tell you, y'all have the problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Didn't say you did, but if you drink, you'll go back to the heroin. I'm just, I'll throw, that's all I'm saying about, I'm just saying, it's that cross, I'm looking for something to treat this internal condition. I'll mention this real quick. This internal stuff that we're talking about can be treated lots of different ways. And I think some of y'all that have been around and y'all sponsored people over a period of time, y'all probably seen this because I sure saw it with me. I set the booze down and all of a sudden food got to be a problem for me. I sponsored a guy that gained 200 pounds in the first year he was sober. I didn't know you could gain that much weight. He set the booze down, but he picked up a, a gallon of Bluebell ice cream. And for, for you Yankees up there that have never had Bluebell ice cream, order it. It's called Amazon.com. Order it. Bluebell. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. And get you some bigger britches while you're at it because you're going to need them. <laughs> It'll, it'll put the weight on. But why are we doing it? Food is a problem. Sex can become a problem. Heck, half the little guys I sponsor over a period of time, you watch them. These are little church guys. Some of these are the best little guys in the world. All of a sudden, they're hooked up to internet porn. You know, just like, why am I, why all of a sudden am I doing this? Gambling is a huge deal. I'm not one saying that you can't eat, look at porn, gamble. I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm saying if you start to do it to treat this internal discomfort, you're in trouble. It's just going to be a problem. Unless this internal condition gets treated, you are going to look for something else. I got to tell you guys, I cannot tell you right now how many people we got leaving treatment who still have this lurking notion that they can leave and smoke pot. Now, thank God in the United States, lots of places it's it's legal. And I, and I think it should be legal in all 50 states. I don't have a problem with this stuff. I just, but that's their lurking notion. Well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stay sober, but they're not going to work the steps. So three weeks out, two months out, six months out, that little window starts closing. That little, that little, all this discomfort starts to come back and they start looking for things they can put in their system to, to fix that problem. Just something to look at, folks. That's why you see so many people, AA, AA boy meets AA girl on AA campus. Yeah. They come into AA and all of a sudden they're in love. Yeah, nah. I, I, yeah. Oh, did I mention they're both married and it's fixing to be a, 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 a yeah, it's going to be nasty. Yeah, well, yeah. here's his little heart. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they're they're uncomfortable. I'm not knocking it, guys. I'm one that believes that we can date in AA. I'm not one that says you can't. I love, I absolutely love it. I'm not, don't get me on that topic. People that say you can't date an AA, buddy, that makes us look like a cult. You know, nowhere in the book says that. It just says pay attention to what you're doing. Don't cause more harm than you're than good. Anyway, Bill Wilson says it on page 44. In the preceding chapters, this is where it's confusing. This is why I've got this little index, because this will confuse you, okay? These are the pages in the first step. It tells you the page numbers to, to read about the first step, and it, and it, and it, covers about four chapters, for heaven's sakes, in different spots. Uh, if I was going to write it again, I, the book, I mean, I, I would organize it in the, in the steps so that you could get a little clearer on it. But 
This is in the chapter two, agnostics. We agnostics, top paragraph. In the preceding chapters, you've learned something about alcoholism. We hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If, it's a question, Bill Wilson is being very, I mean, he, he didn't want to jam this down anybody's throat. He's just asking the question. If, when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely, power choice. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. If this is the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Yeah, Bill Wilson was pretty clear. The greatest gift we can give the newcomer is to sit with them for a few minutes, just like we just did, and qualify them. Help them see what is. Well, why not they're not an alcoholic? Come on, guys. What happens if I find out that Pamela Anders has been trying to call me? Was, is that a problem? I, well, Patty's on this call. She knows. I got to deal with Patty. If Pamela Anderson calls me, I can, I can go visit with her. If Adam Levine calls her, she can go bye-bye. Okay? Give them an adequate presentation of what this is about. Then we would have more people staying sober. One quick story, and I'll let Myers take over. Uh, he can clean up my mess because he does that good. He's been doing it all my life. He's older, but he is the evil twin. I'm just going to say. I'm just saying. I was... Uh, I was talking to a bunch of people in treatment one time. This was, this was 20 years ago. And this nice lady, and she came up after the meeting, and she was a little upset. And we were talking about first step stuff. We were trying to explain this illness a little bit and trying to clear up some of the confusion around it because she couldn't identify with all the stupid war stories. You'll follow, she was a wealthy woman. She couldn't identify with eating out of dumpsters and robbing liquor stores and all that kind of crazy stuff. And so she was, she was, yeah. So we were talking about the symptoms and she finally comes up after the, after the little meeting was over and she's got big book and she opens it up. She throws it down on the counter where I'm at. And these little pictures of these kids, these uh, little Polaroid pictures, y'all remember Polaroid cameras? Yeah, when she, she, her little kids had, had come up on, to the treatment on, on the weekend and she'd taken pictures of these little, cute little kids. And, and uh, anyway, she's showing me these pictures and she's shaking. She's mad in hell, you know, and she said, you don't understand. I'm not going to do any of this step stuff. She says, I'm going to paint. I'm going to put these pictures on my refrigerator and uh, I'm going to look at these little faces. Every time I get in the refrigerator, I'm going to look at those kids and I'm going to remember why I'm staying sober. And I am never going to touch another drop. I hear you. He, and I told her, I said, if you hear me say that you don't love your kids, if you drink, I'm not saying that. This has never been about love, folks. The book says, the big book crystal clear said, we just read it. If you can stop because of those kids, then do it. She left treatment. Two weeks later, she drank again. Child Protective Services got called back in. They got her kids. She ended up coming back to treatment. We hooked her up with a good group when she left. She came back with a completely different attitude. She's still sober today, guys. I see her locally. I see her in town. Child Protective Services didn't keep those babies not, not, not long at all. All she had to do was show that she was trying to do the deal, and she, and she did. She never looked back. Love will not get you sober. Fear will not get you sober, folks. Threats won't get you... What'll get you sober, folks, is a thing called a spiritual experience. And it's going to be your own, own spiritual experience, guys. And it's just, I'm so excited for y'all. We got some of the some of the best speakers in, around getting to share this weekend. And uh, uh, I'm going to be here as much of it as I can. If we don't freeze to death tonight, we'll, uh, I'll be here for sure.
Uh, I'm going to turn this over to my my uh, twin brother Myers. Thank you, Chris. C can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay. That that this is this is good. Uh, <laughs> it's as cold here in Dallas where I am. Chris is 300 miles south of me, and it's it's as cold here as there, but there's no moisture, and so we kind of we kind of got it made. Um, Butch, I, I wanted to I wanted to say thanks to a couple of people and, and uh, thank you for producing me. And that that um, and Ali, I love you more than you'll ever know, buddy. Uh, you, I I can't tell you how your kindness has has been with me since I first met you. It seems so weird that it's been a full year since we did, or almost a year since we did the first Fellowship of Spirit in Toronto. Um, I talked at that one, and it was. Um, and who thought? I mean, at the time, I kept thinking in a month, all this will be over and we'll be back meeting in person. And holy cow, it's just been crazy like that. Um, Butch, thank you for getting snot all over my screen. I just, I don't, I, you know, I'm not a big crier, but it's just like, dad, gum. The, um, uh, I thought I had everything under control. And then I looked up, my wife was walking across the room and she was all blubbery and crying and stuff. And I thought, yeah. I'll get even with you, buddy. One of these days that just um, amazing, amazing story, uh, uh, stories. And um, I got to tell you, it's it, as many of these as we've done, and I've done a, a jillion of them with Chris. And um, it's always sort of fun to see the reactions. Um, one of the things, obviously, that the Zoom stuff has done is that uh, my uh, I don't have to travel to Europe uh, uh, four or five times a year. I can go to Europe a hundred times uh, on Zoom and talk to people and deal with people. And, and it's kind of interesting to see. I remember somebody one time saying, Myers, you're so lucky. You get to go all over the world and you get to talk. And it's just, it must be so cool to sit in all those meetings. And I'm going, well, sometimes it is. And they said, well, what do you mean? Sometimes. And I said, well, sometimes it's pretty uncomfortable too. And they said, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I said, well, sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes the things that pass for AA, uh, that pass for a program, uh, don't quite line up with what I've been taught. And um, um, I got to tell you guys, there have been meetings that I've been into when I was, when I was still traveling in person, where I'd be really careful to kind of look back on the wall like this and make sure that there that I'm, there's a circle triangle on the door but everything I'm hearing is about something else. And so there's a lot of confusion in places. It seems to be geographical. We, we were talking about this the other day. It seems there's a lot of geography involved in this. In certain geographical areas, you'll have really strong uh, uh, program. In some areas, uh, it's just like non-existent um, and lots of variations and ideas. And um, it's um, it could be a bit troublesome, um, it can. Um, I'm not ragging on anybody, but I need to tell you two minutes worth of story uh, because it um, affects everything else uh, that we'll talk about around this step two and and step one stuff that we're talking about this evening. Um, Chris actually saved my life twice. I'll say this while he's on here. And um, um, Chris sobered up in... Uh, 
November of 87. And uh, two months later, he took me to my very first AA meeting um, north of Dallas and, um, and saved my bacon. Uh, it was pretty amazing. And I stayed uh, in pretty good shape for a number of years. Chris moved to the Hill Country um, and uh, deserted me and moved down there and got married and, and, and got a sponsor, a big book sponsor. I didn't know what that was, but it didn't care. Um, guys, I'd been in the program. Um, I had that one sobriety date, January 15th, 88, but I never picked up a book. I got a sponsor and name only. Some of y'all can relate to this. Some of you, maybe not, but I'm, I'm just staying sober one day at a time is okay for a little bit. But I got to tell you, if that's what you're doing now and you've been sober for a period of time, it's a pretty uncomfortable way to live your life. Chris was talking about that. And it, it'll make you, um, it's a pretty uncomfortable place to be. Um, and so at four or five years sober, um, I'm starting to manifest some weird stuff, this restless, irritable and discontent that we were talking about earlier. It's back um, and it's kicking my rear end. Um, I'm having anxiety attacks. I treat that. And then I'm having the, this depression comes back and the depression is killing me. It, it's just, it's just daily. And I, my wife is my, she's the smart one and she's my business partner and she's carrying all the load because I can't even get out of bed. I'm so depressed. I'm going to six meetings a week. I've never worked the steps. I'm trying, I'm be as transparent as I can be. I've never worked the steps. Um, and um, I'm locked in this cage of this bondage uh, that centers around just going to a bunch of meetings. And some of y'all can relate. I, I got to tell you, um, I talk to, to uh, hundreds of people a year um, worldwide who have been in that exact same cul-de-sac that they can't get out. I'm, Myers, I'm going to all the meetings I can go to, um, but I, I cannot get any relief um, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to drink again, one or the other. Um, mercifully, uh, at almost seven years sober, Chris stepped back into the picture. I called him after a real close call with getting loaded, and Chris introduced me to an old dude uh, in Dallas, a guy by the name of Cliff Bishop. I'll bust his anonymity every chance I get. He's been dead for a number of years, but, but Clifford was just this crusty old guy that was sponsored by Joe McQueenie of Joe and Charlie, uh, so you can kind of see where this is all heading. Um, it's like big book 101 stuff. But I'm going to tell you, because some of y'all can relate, it's also kind of embarrassing uh, that uh, I was sober for seven years and I couldn't even tell you who the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous were. I mean, people go, Myers, you're just making that up. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you, I had no clue what this program was about. Well, a real uncomfortable place to be. Um, and so um, I get I get through the work in about three weeks with Clifford. I have this this experience that was kind of earth shattering in terms of just all of a sudden I'm waking up and getting excited about a program that I've been involved with superficially anyway, but I've been involved with them for seven years. I've never sponsored anybody. Um, I don't have a spiritual life at all. Uh, but all of this stuff is on the horizon. All of this stuff is coming. So with, with, with that said, I, I, I can't hardly ever do this um, without talking from the perspective of sponsorship some. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy about, about the program 
is that there's so much confusion within our rooms around what the basic text talks about and what, what the program looks like that we, we tend to push back from the one thing or the two things that would save our bacon, which is a relationship with God and, and helping others. Uh, we we kind of sign our own little pact with ourselves. Um, I remember the night that I did it going, I'm too stupid. I'll never be smart enough to sponsor anybody. So I'm going to just leave that to somebody else. I, and that's what I did. Um, um, at the core of our pro program is a deepening relationship with our creator and an absolute necessity to get off my skinny Texas rear and go work with somebody and I'm not, I'm not doing it. And then I wonder why my program feels stale and shallow um, and less than. Um, and so when I'm talking about this, guys, a lot of times I'll, I'll look at this thing through the eyes of, of, of sponsorship. Now, I promise you, I'm sliding into to, to step two real quick here, but I, I needed to set this groundwork real quick um, so I, I can work from that. Um, Back over on page 17, there's a fascinating place that I never knew was in there that uh, Bill Wilson talks about that it always makes me smile even today reading it like that. I'll read it. You don't even have to reach for your, for your book that I know is sitting in your lap right now. Um, the feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. Chris was talking about this. Guys, listen, I'm not knocking a meeting. I'm not knocking the idea that we're there in those, in those meetings. The fellowship is huge, always will be. But what did he just say? He said, it's gonna, it's gonna take more than that. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. If, if I could just go like that and snap my fingers and have everybody in this room tonight have a reset, it would be to go back to a place to where we could determine if, wouldn't it be cool if we could take everything that we know or everything that we think we know about AA and just sort of throw it out on the table in front of us. And then we get to look at it and we get to a piece at a time, pick up um, and hold on to all of those things which lined up with the common solution. Um, what you would find uh, is, is an, um, I, I say this because I don't want you to think that, that everything that you learned in that discussion meeting was bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not even implying that. But I am saying that we ought to be careful unless something sets the baseline to what it is that we're studying and then what, again, we're teaching, then we become part of the problem if we're not careful. How many of you have ever heard, um, well, you just hang around long enough and you'll eventually hear what you need to hear? Well, yeah, I used to say it. But I got to tell you guys, for a lot of people, that may not be the case. What if you were in the same meetings that I was going to, six of them a week, and I'm not hearing the things that I need to hear? And eventually, um, I can't take it anymore. This is the reason why there was nobody in those early meeting days that we're teaching out of the big book. Nobody was trying to help us figure all of that stuff out. Um, somebody asked me in a deal one night in a workshop, they said, well, how do you know when it's time to start working the work? 
and there were some people in the room that, that kind of snickered and they laughed at the question. And I remember looking at them and I went, it's a great question because it's one, it's one that, that I keep having nice people over the years would tell me, well, you'll know when it's time to start working the steps. Y'all, do y'all understand how crazy that is? We have a brand new guy that's right in off the street, right in off the doing some crazy stuff like this. And we give him this, this piece of advice. You'll know when it's time to work the steps. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't make that line up with my experience. I can't make it line up with anything that I've read. I can't. It's just a nice warm and fuzzy statement. Um, if you got a book, flip over to page 58. How many of you guys have ever heard? I know it'll be a shock. How many of you ever heard how it works? <laughs> and guys, in 10 million meetings a day, especially since Zoom got down there, at 10 million meetings a day, you end up with people reading how it works before the meeting. And we have heard it so many times, we just trivialize it. It's the it's when everybody gets up and goes and gets coffee or you finish the text to the girl that's sitting right across the table from you, uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's just crazy like that. We don't listen to it. Um, but I want to read this little piece two thirds of the way down that page on page 58. It says our stories disclose in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened and what we're like now, if you've decided that you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. That's clear, guys. That's crystal clear what, what the deal is. It may vary a little bit between each one of us a little bit, but, but let me make sure that, you're, that you understand what I'm saying. I can't tell you how many men I have talked into sitting on the tailgate of my pickup truck before a meeting that are brand new, new guys. And I've asked him these questions and I've, I've, I've kind of pulled him with a vision of what this thing looks. I've qualified him. He knows exactly where he is. And then I would ask him like that if, if they, if he has, if he wants what we have. And if he says, yes, well, are you willing to go to any length? And then I'm going to tell him what that looks like. I'm not going to leave him hanging. And then you're ready to take certain steps. The flip side of that, guys, worldwide is that we end up with these people that come into the meeting and they sit down and we love on them and we tell them they're the most important person in the room, but we leave them hanging to make their own decision. And if they're like me and most of you are, given sufficient time, a month or two, you will eventually begin to build a case against the people around you. I'm not really like them. I'm not really that way. I'm not really. And pretty soon you'll find yourself. Um, this is the reason that stuff that Chris was reading over on page 24 was so important. Um, uh, we won't remember with sufficient force. You won't. Um, and this is why it's why it's important. OK, let's get down to the, the nuts and bolts. Flip, if you if you just cross the page over to on 59. Step one that Chris was talking about, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable, that we were unable to manage that decision to take that drink. It had nothing to do with the external stuff, okay? There are a lot of high bottom drunks in AA that are bona fide and need to be here, but they still have a fancy car, a fancy wife, a fancy house. I mean, it, yes, it, they're not talking about your life being unmanageable. They're talking about the unmanageability around the first drink on this. So, and then the next piece, Mercifully, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves 
could restore us to sanity. It didn't say a meeting. It didn't say a trophy sponsor. It didn't say any of that stuff. It said a power. And then we got all the rest of the steps that allow us to take care of the things that stand between us and that sunlight of the spirit. Guys, that's the function. That's the big ticket item here like that. If, our, if my goal is to stand in the sunlight of the spirit, then what do I have to do to get clear of this stuff so that I can move towards that, that creator? Step 11 and step two are kind of joined at the hip. Um, it's, sort of a, uh, it's sort of an amazing, uh, amazing deal to, to look at that. Um, I want to, I want to show you something real quick. The, the, um, there it is. So let's slide into this from this direction. Um, regardless of where you are, um, in your relationship with God, um, your responsibility to the men and women that you sponsor is to help them understand that their solution is not man. It's not um, a group. It's not whatever. I'm not saying none of this, this stuff is not important, but we sometimes paint this picture that you can be really vague and stay really vague. It, listen, it's not my job to make you believe in my creator. It, it, it's not. It, what is my job is to get you to a place to where your head is open enough that you could actually move towards that, that you could actually see some of that then we'll, we'll talk about it. Now, go back and, and stop and think about this stuff. Um, um, remember when Ebby came to see Bill and Ebby slings a little uh, 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 spiritual stuff out there and, and Bill recoils a little bit. He's got a bit of spiritual kind of contempt uh, around this stuff. And, and it, it's after he had his experience in the hospital, he was transformed, he was changed, and he began to realize, hey, wait a minute, I've been looking at this thing all wrong, uh, but he, he didn't forget, he never forgot how hard he was pushing against uh, the, the spiritual idea as a solution. He, he never forgot it, and that's the reason why, um, how many besides me were completely surprised that they spent so much time uh, in We Agnostics? It just seems like it goes on forever. Bill Wilson makes a point, takes a deep breath, makes the point again, takes a deep breath, says something rhetorical, and then hit it, hits it again. He just keeps doing that like that because he's trying to understand. Unless we can get these train wrecks, these little sweethearts that are coming into this thing, unless we can get them to understand that the solution is to find a power, they're going to struggle. They're, they're not going to get this. Or what it is that they get is going to be a very weak, very timid view of what this program was meant to be. And we'll, we'll talk about that stuff here in just a second. I'm over on page 46. I just want to read a little bit and then I'll quit reading. But I, I, I want you to, uh, on 46 about, um, uh, where'd it go? There it is. Um, I'm, I'm about halfway down the page. Yes, we have agnostic temperament, have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which was God. 
And then it goes on to talk about our conception of God like that. It's, it's super powerful, guys, this stuff on 46. And then right across the page, Bill, in his classic direct way that he always does, he takes a deep breath and he says it again right across the page. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this spiritual cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. It, it couldn't be plainer. It couldn't be more direct. And yet, why is it that I sponsored so many men over the years who don't know anything about that? Who don't know anything about it? Guys, listen, I, I don't, I never want to step on anybody. I never want to make anybody feel uncomfortable about anything like this. But somewhere along the line, folks, we have got to stop being so timid around the idea of, of, of our creator. Uh, at the center of our program is a relationship with our creator. And, and this idea that we can leave it as, um, as an optional thing, guys, that's like making chili in Texas and leaving the meat out of it. It's not chili. It's, it's, you, y'all understand, don't, you, you, you gotta, you gotta, um, um, sometimes we paint this picture and we're so afraid that we're going to run people off or whatever, uh, that, that, I don't know of anything that I could read spiritually that's more inclusive than that. And, uh, it's, it's funny that the, we ought to just kind of look at that sometimes and sort of just see, um, let me tell you a quick story, okay? I, actually, two real quick ones, and then I'll get on with some more important stuff. Um, I, there was a guy um, in 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 treatment at a place that I had worked. I, I was teaching part time uh, for a, a number of years, and this guy was um, absolutely a pain in the butt. Really, he didn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do anything about a relationship with with. Um, Anything, anything spiritual, he would just avoid. But he also kind of made it his job to make sure that everybody else was miserable around him. And so he was pretty disruptive and this kind of stuff. And we kind of got nose to nose one day in a in a book study. And, and I, I said something to him that pissed him off and he walked out of the room. And a, a little while later, I didn't see him anymore. Um, and so um, I finally tracked him down. And he said, um, I said, buddy, I, listen, I apologize. Uh, I didn't mean to ruffle your feathers about this thing. It's just so dadgum important. He said, I know, I know, I know. And I, I'm going to spend some time with it. I just, I realized after I got finished being mad, I realized you were just trying to help. And I went, well, thanks. And I, I left. Well, the next morning at Big Book, he comes walking in and he looks completely different. And I said, dude, you okay? And he said, okay, I got this deal. And I said, what do you mean you got this deal? And he said, this God deal, I got it. And I said, no kidding. And he said, yeah, remember that stuff that we read? I said, yeah. And he said, I, I think I know what God's about. And I said, I'm all ears. Tell me. And he said, it, it, God's, um, it's, he's like Thor. And I remember when he said it, I went, I said, you're sore? And he goes, no, 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 Thor. And I went, 
like hammer that guy and he goes yeah I like that guy and i went okay all right i'm we got to start someplace so let me switch hats real quick i gotta tell you as a sponsor you've got to start someplace you, you you're not gonna you're not gonna start your journey towards the, uh, your creator by going to seminary it, it probably won't happen you're just gonna, you're gonna have to you've had god sideways in your crawl for two decades and and so you're gonna have to start over and kind of head towards it so anyway that this this guy made me laugh because he said he said um I'll see wh where this takes me. And, and he was transformed in, in, uh, in treatment. He just, it was something else. He got out, got a job at a, at a place. And, a, and I saw him about six months later and I said, how's it going? And he said, it's good. It, Myers, it's going super. He said, I've never, ever lived a life like this. And I said, um, how's Thor? And he goes, Oh dude, look at this. And he pulled his shirt back and he had a big old picture of Thor on his chest or back. I can't remember exactly. All I remember is across his arm. He had a big arm coming around onto his chest with a big hammer tattooed on his chest. And I went, Holy cow. That's, and I'm a tat freak. I don't have any body art at all. Uh, but I'm too old anyway to do it, but, but I love tats. I do. And so he, um, um, I was pretty impressed. Well, I saw him, um, about a year later. And I said, Hey dude, how, how things going? And he said, I'm great. And he was working in the industry. And I said, he said, I'm great. I'm sponsoring a bunch of guys. And I said, that's so cool. Like that. And Thor, and he goes, well, yeah, we're just, we're not, it's not quite the same. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? Not quite the same. And he said, well, I, it's hard to explain Mars. I, I just one day realized that Thor wasn't enough that I wanted something deeper and bigger and broader. And I went, that's badass. And so, and he just, he kept moving and move. And I got to tell you guys, I've talked to this guy about six months ago and I laughed almost the whole time we were together because he was just flat transformed. And it started out with Thor. I mean, I, I just, it's kind of hard to kind of get your head around that whole thing like that. One more real quick one. Um, the, um, there was another guy in that same place that showed up and, um, the RAs needed some help one day and they said, could you help us empty this guy's uh, suitcase? And I said, yeah. And so when I picked up his suitcase, I picked up a book in there and I went, what's this? And I flipped it over and it, it, guys, it was a satanic Bible. Now, listen, I, I dropped it as fast as I could. It, it, it had evil crawling all over it. The whole room felt weird. I, I mean, I'm just like, I got to get out of this place. Like, and, and I said, we, we, uh, -uh you can't have this. And he got really pissed and we took it. And, um, um, cause it was just, just some crazy stuff. Um, a, a bunch of little babies on the front of it with their heads cut off that, that kind of stuff. And I just said, we ain't bringing that into our community like that. We'll just, we'll think of something else. A week later, this guy was tearing that place apart. I mean, he was just like the most disruptive kid I've ever seen in my whole life. He made Thor look like a like a like a, a a beginner. I mean, it was just the craziest stuff. And so, um, about a week later, he left. And um, he, as a matter of fact, he left the same day that I went back to Dallas. And I and I was doing like the happy dance in the parking lot, going, "He's gone. I don't have to put up with that guy again." And um, and anyway, it, it, there it was. A month later, I'm back down on the island again for my 10 day stint of teaching. And when I walk into the courtyard, he's standing there. 
and I just went, oh, golly. And I'm just, just grinding my teeth thinking, oh, I, I can't believe it. It's going to be chaos again. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, hey, um, Mr. Raymer, I, I, I owe you an apology one and two. Uh, I just wanted to ask your opinion about some stuff. And he started talking about God and I kind of went, what, 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 is this the same guy? Come to find out something had happened to him when he was out. I don't know what it was. Uh, but he said at some point in time, I decided that I was willing to set down all the goofy stuff that I'd brought in and was willing to look at some other possibilities. And he said, frankly, I've looked at some pretty crazy stuff, uh, but, but, um, um, I'm ready to, 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 uh, get serious about this stuff. This kid transformed into one of the coolest kids that I'd ever worked with in recovery land. Um, he was helping people. I mean, if the gate opened, he was standing there, whether it was a parent, whether it was a kid coming in, whether whoever it was, he was there, uh, as helpful as he could possibly be, um, um, was a stellar guy, did his work and, and finally left and went back home. Um, I kept up with him and talked to him and every once in a while he would send me pictures. And so one day he's sending me this picture and I said, um, dude, I, what, where are you? I can't, I don't understand what, what, what the picture is. And, and my wife was standing there and Londa said, wait a minute. And she biggerized it for me. And I said, that, are you at the, uh, at a swimming hole or something like that? And, like that. And he goes, no, man, I'm at church. I'm standing next to a baptismal pool. I'm getting ready to get baptized. And I went, <laughs> that's who, who knew, who knew it, it Guys, listen, I'm, I'll tell you these stupid stories because I, I just, the only mistake that we can make around step two stuff is being so rigidly tied to th these old ideas that we brought into this stuff. And a lot of us have, have these old ideas that are going to kill us. Um, and are you willing to set it down? Uh, Mark Houston used to say in these talks that he did, I smell more. And I, and I, I, I just, I love that the idea that we could quit being so determined like that. Um, and that we could actually, um, be willing to move towards something else. Um, two more real quick things and I'll, and I'll, I'll circle this wagon up. Uh, the, um, I had breakfast one morning with with Joe McQuaney and Cliff Bishop and 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 uh, Joe lived in Arkansas, but he'd come down and and he Clifford was sponsored by Joe for 23 years, I guess. And and we were having breakfast one morning and um, Joe was always ragging me. He was always kind of giving me a tough time. And it was it was funny. It was humorous like that because I don't know if any of you guys ever met Joe McQuaney in person. But if you ever had a chance to meet him in person, he, he was huge, huge guy, really tall. And he had hands like baseball gloves, the biggest hands I've ever seen on a man. And he'd shake hands and he was like shaking hands with a little bitty kid. And he would sit there at that breakfast table that morning and he, he'd look at Clifford and then he'd look at me and he'd look back at Clifford. And he said, Cliff, I think you got your work cut out for you on this guy. And, and I'd try to kind of, you know, not react. And, uh, um, he said, Myers, let me ask you a question. Do you think that you can think your way sober? And I went, well, yes, I think I can. And then he looked back at Clifford. And he looked at me and he said, really? He said, so you can, you can get clear of your selfishness and self-centeredness by exerting more self. And I went, 
well, it sounds kind of stupid when you put it like that. And he said, well, that's my point. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Um, he said, Myers, he said, until you get your hand off that tiller, you're never going to ever feel the benefits of this program. I mean, you're doing all the right things, brother. He said, you're, 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 you're trying to help people. You're doing some other stuff like that, but you're at the meetings all the time like that. But I still sense this burning desire to control everything that's around you. And I just went, well, you know, the bastard nailed it. He did. I, I didn't tell him that, but I was just thinking he, 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 he nailed it. Well, um, he said, you want me to tell you the secret to this whole thing? And I went, yeah, please. And he said, how much time did you spend with God today? And how much time did you spend with God's kids today? And I went, that's it. And he said, yeah. He said, you're trying to make this like it's some kind of intellectual exercise, some kind of intellectual deal. And it's not. He said, it, it's it. When you get up in the morning, could you spend some quiet time with God, with your creator? And I said, yeah, I can. And he said, and then go see if you can get off your rear end and try to help somebody. I said, I can do that too. Chris and I were sitting in a, in a meeting one night together in the Hill Country, this, this club down there, our club's called the Outpost. And it's kind of, kind of a, just a bunch of big book folks. It's really, really pretty special. Um, it always has been in my heart. And um, there was this kid in there uh, and he was sharing and he was kind of sitting across from me a ways and the room's a hundred and so people in there, maybe close to 200 people in there. And, and this, this kid's, he can't be 19 years old. And I looked at him and he said, um, he said, I, I, uh, I'm having trouble um, with my prayer time this morning, but I think big homie is going to, going to, it's going to, it's going to be okay. And, and uh, after the meeting, I said, you called him big homie. And he said, yeah, I called him big homie. And I said, wow. Okay. And he said, you want me to tell you something else that's funny? He said, my sponsor asked me one time, said Myers. See, he said, he said, this guy's name is John. He said, John, um, if God was your girlfriend, would he be, would she be satisfied with how much time you're spending with her? And I, it made me laugh. And I went, I went, damn, no, if you put it like that, um, I, I, if you want to, if you want to see some real growth in your program, redouble your efforts around um, uh, your prayer and quiet time and redouble your efforts around your ability to carry a message of hope uh, to uh, those that are struggling. Um, and you will find um, some amazing uh, stuff that happens. Um, really quick, I want to, I want to, Somebody asked me one time, they said, Myers, how, how do you know if you go through the work and as you do this stuff and as you understand step two and that begins to deepen and you begin to go through the rest of these steps, how do you know where you're supposed to be or, or is there a goal out there where it's supposed to be? And I said, well, no. And then a little bit later, I got to thinking about it and I went, well, maybe I should have waited to say that because maybe there is a goal. So hear me out. Over on page, um, over on page 75, I want to read half of this little paragraph. And I want to ask you this question. I want to talk about it for just a second or two. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we've taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. 
We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We began to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we began to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem, sorry, it chokes me up every time I read this thing. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Listen, folks, I'm, I'm a crusty old dude from Central Texas, okay? I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not. This is eye-opening stuff. Now, let me put this into perspective. When you read that paragraph, you'll stand in one or two courts. You'll stand on either Bill Wilson was totally full of rhetorical crap when he wrote this, and he was just simply writing it to sell books. But you got to ask yourself the question, when he wrote this little collection of promises, when he wrote all the other promises in the big book, what if he was telling the truth? What if the first 100, when they wrote all this stuff, what if, what if they were telling the truth and that we could actually live a life like that? The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared often strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Guys, that's some heady stuff. That's some that that stuff just blows me away like that. Uh, who you stop and look collectively at all of us in this room tonight and we reflect back on where we were and what we were and what happened. And then we look at the miracles that happened, at the transformations that happened, at all of the things that happened. I never dreamed that I would have a relationship with my creator ever, ever. And it happened. I never, ever dreamed that I would be able to be of service to anybody else. This is the kind of stuff that just, uh, um, just blows me away. Listen, I love the fact that I'm sober. Hell, I love the fact that you're sober. I, I, I love the fact that all of us in here are like that. But I got to tell you guys, more than anything in the whole wide world, I'm grateful that I'm in a position where I might be able to alter the course of somebody else's life by my willingness to step in and try to help them see the truth that's in this book. And in some cases, I might even be able to save those lives. And I got to tell you, at the end of the day, at the end of everything like that, when you're just looking back on all this stuff, I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my job. I'm proud of, I'm proud of a lot of things in my life. Guys, I got to tell you uh, that I could have a relationship um, that deepens daily with my creator, that I could see um, that there is a different way of living our lives, that our lives could be full of miracle after miracle after miracle if we were just simply willing to look at it from a different perspective. Guys, if these promises have not manifested in your life, that, great, at least you know where you stand. And that's what we're after. We, we want some clarity about where we are. If you're struggling with this stuff, let's go back. Let's do some more of this work. Let's pay attention to what it is that we're doing. Every day we stand at that turning point. This isn't a one and done kind of deal. Um, where I am today, Mark Houston used to always say, and it used to make me smile every time he'd say, it, he said, where I am today is not where I want to be in a year from now. I, I, 
I don't want to get on a, a, a deal where I've, I've, re I've reached this, this, this kind of plateau like that. Butch was talking about it earlier, and it made, always makes me smile. Um, the, to be humble and to understand that where I am today is a journey that will not end if I will simply move towards um, um, that relationship with my creator. I used to have this thing, guys, that I thought that once I tap that door open and I realized that God was right there, that I would just drift slowly into God's arms and it would be all warm and fuzzy forever and ever. And I, I just, I had that feeling, listen, there's a current and you will drift, but it's the other, it's the other direction. You're going to, you're going to, if you pause on this, if you sit too long, you'll drift the other direction. This is the reason I get so irritated sometimes when I see people in these, in these rooms, um, when I see them hurting and then I see people that love them say, how many meetings are you going to? I just, if I could change anything about AA, if I could just go, it's, we're going to change that. It would be this love affair with the meeting, um, which sometimes is in, in, in place of the more important stuff. Like I, what I would rather ask you if you're struggling, how much time did you spend with God today? And how much time did you spend with God's kids today? Let's move back towards that original idea of what this was about and then watch how our lives are transformed. I love you guys. Thank you so much for letting me come tonight. Thank y'all.